0: All right, if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 10 as we start this new series on the church called We Are the Church. I read this quote uh, just this past uh, couple of weeks. It says this, one of the potential positive effects of COVID is it will, it will kill off consumer Christianity. Its attack on comfortable Christianity might be one of the good things to come out of this pandemic. I mean, if, if you think about it, it's in this season where, where there's something about this season that has stripped church down to its basics. Like we, we've lost all the bells and the whistles and the, and the perks and it comes down to really just some, some simple essentials of church where it's just, I mean, it's Jesus, it's his word, it's us worshiping together, it's us praying, and it's us being in community together. I mean, things are suddenly in this season, things are suddenly coming down to what is the essential, what is vital. And so, so in this season, we want to be sure we have a clear understanding then of what is the church. I mean, you, you hear it a lot in this season with, with, with the lockdown, especially where people would say, hey, we don't go to church, we are the church. Well, what does that mean? What's it mean that we are the church? That thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said, I'm going to build this church where Peter said, confess so, so clearly he said, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're God, the son. And Jesus said, Peter, based on that confession, on what you just said, I'm going to build the church and, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that. A virus will not stop the church. Persecution has never stopped the church. A government can't stop a church. And and this is, if you're a Christ follower, this is what you're a part of. In the next few weeks, we want to unpack what this unbelievable movement that we've been called to as a church that was started by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the most powerful force on earth. But before we do that, we need to unpack a bit about what church is. And so this morning, we're going to be starting here. We're going to be starting the church defined. What does it look like? What is this church? What does it look like that that we would be called, that we would be gathered, that we'd be committed? The word church, we, we kind of think of church as a building or an organization, but the, the word used by Jesus in Matthew when he said, I build my church, it wasn't a religious word. In, in the, the original Greek that, that the New Testament is written in, that, that word is ecclesia. You see it here, here's the definition. It's just a, an assembly of called out ones. Ecclesia. In Spanish, as we have the, the churches, is, is iglesia. Same idea. Related to that same word. It's, it's a group that's been called out together. That's what Jesus says. I'm building this. I'm calling out of people. We're calling you together. And then, then in Acts chapter 2, you see the church that Jesus promised to build. It was birthed in the, in the book of Acts. Peter preaches this sermon. He says, repent and be baptized. Turn from following after your own thing and put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, the Messiah. This is be baptized. This this outward action that shows an inward reality that I've died to myself and I'm raised again to a new life in Christ. And then then people were called not just to follow Jesus, not just to, well, now you can have this little personal spiritual journey with you and Jesus. No, the church was birthed on that day. It says in Acts that 3,000 people joined together as the church, a group called out together, called out of the world called out of the stream of life that they were on and now in repentance to say, I'm gonna turn and do a different thing. I'm gonna be called into a new life and listen, into a new community. So the church, it's a gathered people, people who are saved, call, called by God. Not just a tradition, not just an organization, definitely not just a, a building. It's the Holy Spirit changing you from the inside out, giving you this new life with Jesus and his people. That's the church. Now, when you read the word church in scripture, so if, you, if you're going through the New Testament and you, and you see that word church in there, there are two main ideas being expressed in the word church. There is the universal church. That, that's every Christian, every Christian, past, present, and future, a part of this universal, this, this church family, this group that all of us together, we can say we're a part of the church. You see that word used when, when it says in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives like Christ loves the church. Talking about the church global, universal. Hebrews 12, it talks about us as believers gathering all of us together at the throne. And, and it's talking about all of it in this, this spiritual sense, all of us united as the church. And there's so much encouragement in that truth. I mean, for those who can't attend right now, if those who are immune compromised, those who are in an at-risk category, and you you can't be here, so you're watching online right now, there's an encouragement that, listen, while you're physically removed from gathering together like this, you can know that you're not actually alone. You're not really removed no matter where you are. You're a part of the universal church. Now, here's the thing, though. When, When you read the word church in Scripture, most of the time you see that word church It refers to the local church, a a specific group of Christians in a particular location. Not not just some church idea, but no, this here, what we have going on right now, that's when you see the word church in scripture. And so our first point this morning is this. I just want us to really make sure we get this. We are called together. We are called together. About 114 times you see this word ecclesia used in the New Testament. Over 90 of those times, it's referring to this. And here's how I would define it. A specific local group of baptized believers organized under shepherding care of a plurality of elders devoted to the word, praying, singing, the Lord's Supper, caring for each other and on mission together to reach the world of the good news of Jesus. Long definition, maybe take a picture of it. I don't know, hard one to write down so fast, right? That when the Bible talks about a church, most often it's talking about this. When you think of church, when you read church, this would be a biblical definition of what church is. In fact, you got your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse, verses 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It says, let, let us not neglect, it says meeting together, to meet together. That, that word there, meeting, it's, it's a, another Greek word. It's, it's this word, episynagogue. It's where we get our word synagogue from. Literally meaning this, just a congregation. Don't stop congregating together. Don't stop being, listen, a gathered people. This morning, I wanna dive in. What does it really mean to be part of that kind of Christian community? To, to move away from the individualistic spirituality, to, to move away from the, I'm just doing the whole Jesus and me thing. To move away from the, well, I don't need an organized religion to follow Jesus. Listen, I've been there. And I lived there for a long time. I'd say well into my 30s, I would say things like, I love Jesus, but I really don't like the church. What was I really saying in that? When I say I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, I'm saying I'm not cool with anybody else but me. I love Jesus, but I don't want to be around anybody else because I think I'm kind of killing it with Jesus. I mean, you wouldn't say it, but that is what we're saying, is it not? I can only be around me. Listen, Jesus didn't give his life on the cross to create little individual self-righteous communities. He died to create grace communities where, where those who have received God's grace, we lavish it on other people. In fact, I would say it this way. When we bail on gathering in the local church, when we bail on the church, we're bailing on Jesus' most prized possession. Scripture says that the church is the bride of Christ. I, mean, I can't imagine saying to any guy, especially a guy who's bigger than me, where I would say, "Hey, I love hanging out with you, but your wife? oh, man, she is just ah. Oh. <laughs> you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. I would say this, being upset with hypocrisy in the church, man, that is a good thing. We should not be cool with hypocrisy in our church, but a deep, mature Christian is when you start to see the deep dissatisfaction of the hypocrisy in your own heart, where you fail to live out the gospel. I think it's at that point we become this this gather group of of believers that we've been called to by Jesus, gathering together a a group of people so aware of our desperate need of God's grace. Now we want to walk alongside others to to grow them, to point them so that, listen, help me become more like Jesus as I walk with you so you become more like Jesus. And we do this gathered together. Together. Again, this word here, Don't neglect to meet together, meeting. It's it's congregation, congregation. I I read in one commentary on this verse that said there's a a difference between an aggregation and a congregation. An aggregation is just a a collection of individuals who come together. You just come together because you're coming to listen to a sermon or or you're coming to an event or, or you're just, that's an aggregation. A congregation is different. An aggregation is like a bag of marbles, this person said a congregation like a cluster of grapes. Did you get that marbles a bunch of individuals, but grapes organically related and connected to each other. To really be a church gathered, where are a church that's committed to each other where church is not just coming to hear a guy preach. No, no, no. You eat together. You pray together. You learn together. You grow together. You're accountable to each other. You love each other. You serve each other. You confess sin to each other. In fact, look at verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as some of the habits are doing, but encouraging one another. We're we're spurring one another up. We're encouraging one another. The the Christian life is not something we do alone. When you come to church, a New Testament definition of church, when you come to church, it's a place you go not just to, to be taught, not just to be counseled, not just to be discipled, not just to be cared for, but you also, you go to church to do what? To teach one another, to counsel each other to confess to each other, to admonish, bear burdens, weep with each other. It's, it's being, listen, called together. Now, this verse has been used by a lot of preachers. I've heard it before. To make sure that we all come to church on Sunday. Don't neglect meeting together. So make sure you show up on Sunday morning and that's good. And, and it is that. There is truth to that, but it's it's even deeper than that. So, so don't throw that away. I'm saying, yes, it is that, and yet here's more than it is. It's saying this: don't just come as a passive, passive observer. Come to serve, come to pray, come to encourage. So when you roll into church, you're, you're, you're rolling into church and you're, and you're praying, Lord, Lord, who do you have me here for today? And that's just Sunday because it, it goes beyond Sunday, right? Where, where we have these, we, we call them here in our church, intentionally invasive relationships where you're saying, you can come and speak into my life. So it's not just a check mark thing. I went to church. It's, it's how do I spur on? How do I encourage this church family that God's called me to? Because you see what's going on here in this passage, the, the whole context of this. Let, let me read from verse 19 down to verse 24 so you can see the context of this. It's saying that in Christ now everything has changed. So this is what our community looks like. Look at verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The picture here is of the the tabernacle of the old temple in the Old Testament where a curtain would separate us from the holy of holies, where God's manifest presence would be. It's saying that through Christ, that curtain is, is removed. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What's it saying? Saying, now in Christ, we have access to the holy place, access to God. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. It's this comparison of this is what it was before Christ in the Old Testament under the law, and here's who we are in Christ. So in the Old Testament, you could not draw near. Only on Yom Kippur would one priest once a year get to go into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't draw near. I couldn't draw near. And that's why when you're reading the New Testament, that's why when you read through certain books in the New Testament, especially you're reading through Galatians, there's this, there's this, are you kidding me? What do I have in Christ now? There's a way to God Do we have this access. Because listen, more than anything else we need, we need access to God, to be able to draw near to God. Because when we get close to the holiness of God, listen, it destroys our pride. When you get close to the holiness of God, it it destroys your selfishness, your anger, any controlling attitudes. It it obliterates our laziness or our lying or our lust. It, it, It takes away our hardness or our selfishness or our worry or our anxiousness. When you get near God, it transforms you. But in the Old Testament, you couldn't get near. And, and you see that in, the, in these verses here. Look, look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. He says, for since the law has, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, saying that the, what was going on in the Old Testament, it was a shadow. It was pointing to Christ, but it wasn't the reality. It says, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. He says, there, there, there's a way that the, the worship of the Old Testament could not transform in the way that Christ transforms us now. That Jesus, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, his death in our place. Now in Christ, you are made righteous and pure so you come into the presence of God, that you can draw near, that you could have this, this transforming presence in your life. I mean, the, This is amazing. This this is why it says here, let's not forget. Let's continue to encourage each other to draw near to this God. Let's remind each other of this access we have. But it's saying this, we're doing this together. So it's not a, hey, why don't you go spend time just you and Jesus? It's like, hey, let's go in together. Let's do this in community. In fact, C.S. Lewis, at one point in Mere Christianity, he was talking about the purpose of the church. And he said, the church has a lot of purposes to it, but all of them come down to this one reason. And he said this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ and to make them little Christs. If, if, If we're not doing that, all the cathedrals and clergy and missions and sermons, they're a complete waste of time, he says. We're called together to call each other together. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 gives this amazing picture of who we are as the body, each of us a part linked together, that we're not separate on our own. You can't cut your hand off and throw it down and it still be a hand. No, it needs to be connected to the body, accountable, caring, encouraging, Not in some, oh, I'm a part of this broad church. No, no, no. This is my church. These are the people I do that with. These are the people I'm accountable to. These are the people who have access into my life. These are the people who draw me closer to God and who I draw as well. These are the people when I'm wandering away from the truth of the the word of God, these are the people who come after me. These are the people, if I see one of them, if I see marriage struggles, this is you talking, this is not just Pastor Kai, but all of us together, when you see somebody hurting or struggling or maybe a marriage in trouble or relationships in trouble, or you see them wandering into things you know are hurting them or they're making bad choices, they're hurting deeply, we're saying, I'm committed to calling them, to drawing them near to God to encourage them, to spur them on. I would say the Bible pushes so hard against North American church. Scripture's begging every follower of Christ to ask this question Where are you committed as a member of a local church? Where are you committed to say, This is my church? I'm not asking this, hey, where do you go listen to sermons? Where do you attend worship? No, the the question is this, where are you committed to gathering together every week with a group of believers where, where you're mutually submitting to God's word and to each other, where you're giving together, where you're caring for each other, where you're taking responsibility for helping other members of that body grow in faith to become more and more like Jesus. If you're just having a little individual devotional time, you kind of go, yeah, I, I sort of go to harvest and you think that's gonna change your life, you're wrong. If, if you're just going to church, but you're not committed to saying, this is my church, this is my family, I'm committed to this place and these people, man, I would say this boldly, the Bible knows nothing of that kind of faith. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. In fact, I would say this as we move on to point two, we're committed to each other. We're not just called to gather, we're committed to each other. Look again at verse 24 and 25. Let's unpack these a little more and see what does it mean to actually be committed to each other? It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more. So what are some ways? Just seeing some words there, it says, let us consider. So how do we commit to each other? We take time to consider. I mean, I think in our busy culture, this is a, a, something we can so easily miss in church that we we do we take time to stop and to notice each other. To actually think and pray, God, how, how could I be used by you to help this person be less anxious? God, how how would you use me to to grow this person to be less angry? How how can I help this person love their family more deeply? God, what can I do to draw this person to to more easily forgive? How how can you use me today to help draw this person into deeper joy in you? Let me ask it this way. Do Do you have people in your life who you are considering? Look what it says here. You have people in your life who are considering you. I mean, not just the, the Sunday morning, how are you? I'm good. How's work? It's going great. I mean, like really getting deep into your heart. An intentionality about, about I want to help my brothers and my sisters grow, I want to consider them. What are we considering? It says this, as you're considering, consider how to stir up one another, it says. How to stir up, the, the literal meaning of that word. Maybe you have a translation that says spur one another on. I, I think spur is probably even a little closer to the original meaning because the, the word actually means irritate each other. Some of you are like, well, then our church is doing great because <laughs> I know a lot of people who irritate me. Not, 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 talk, not talking about that. It, it means Confront. It means having people in your life who you'd who, who you be able to say, hey, hey, if you see something in my life that does not line up with the gospel, that does not line up with God's word, you have permission to come alongside and to call me on that. Without that kind of community, there is no growth. If, if we're not stirring each other up, there is no love and good works. I mean, do, do you have people who speak into your life that way? who who lovingly and graciously come alongside to to listen to you and then point you to God's word. If we only rely on what we see and I'm just gonna make sure I've got my own self covered, listen, it's a very dangerous place to be because most sin that will take us out are sin that we justify or don't see. The best, the most mature church communities are ones where people are honest about their sin where you be able to say, hey, listen, this is what the Bible calls me to. Would you hold me to this? Hey, the Bible calls me to forgiveness, but my heart is so hard to this person. Would you pray with me about that? Hey, the Bible calls me to purity, but, but pornography's got such a grip on my heart and I haven't told anybody, but I want to tell you so you can help hold me accountable to, to get my heart more in line to having this, this love of Christ that would draw me away from that. Hey, hey my heart is, is so easily drawn to self-pity and despair. Would you, would you hold me accountable to that? Would you walk with me? Would you help me become more like Christ in this? Would you stir me to love and good works? Would you draw me near to God? Do you have people who can spur you? That word spur, you know what that is, right? Like the cowboy boot, that, that cool little pointy thing that jingles on the back of the cowboys' boots, right? And when they, they 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 hit the horse with it. I'm not a cowboy. I don't know. I've seen I've seen movies though. All right, and they they do that. What's it do? It 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 hurts the horse. It's not a comfortable thing. But is that guy going? Let's go. It's come on, right? Do you have people who, who can do? That? I'm not saying someone's gonna kick you, but do you have people who will come alongside you and and dig into your life, who confront you, and it's not comfortable? I'm telling you, there's, there's very few people who would say, I oh, mean, I love it when someone points out my sin. I love it when someone says, hey, okay, um, can we get coffee? I need to talk to you. No one goes, awesome. We're like, ooh, what are they going to talk to me about? That's what true love looks like, though. It's what, it's what being committed to a church is all about. But here's another word, though, it goes on. It says, consider how to stir one another up. But look, what it says in verse 25, not just, not just confronting everybody, but what does it say? It says, encouraging one another. Verse 25, we also want to encourage one another. So it's, it's not all spurring and kicking and confronting. I mean, if that gets you fired up, you're like, man, I love that part. Who can I spur today? You might want to wait a bit on that one, all right? Maybe spend some more time at the cross yourself. Maybe get to know grace a little more, right? Because it's a, it's a spurring of love and grace. And, and here's you see this word, encourage one another. The, the word literally means come alongside of. It's this, this image you would have of somebody who's injured on like the football field and it takes two people to come on either side and they shoulder an arm and they kind of walk the person off. That, that's this imagery here. That you would come alongside those who in this moment can't stand on their own. You have empathy. You suffer along with them. Like I would say this, stirring and encouraging, they come as a pair. They, they gotta be together. You, you need to be stirring and encouraging. There are some churches, I mean, some churches I grew up in, where, where they were great at stirring. We just preach it straight. We just tell you what's up. with the, right? and, and, and what happens is because, because there is no encouraging, because it's all stirring, what, what happens? You end up hiding you get spit out. I mean, a comment you hear from a lot of churches that are, that are so proud that they stir everybody is, yeah, man, we don't have sin like other churches do. <laughs> well, you do. It might be worse because people are so hiding it, they're rotting out from the inside, right? But then you, you can have the opposite though. If, if you don't bring these as a pair, you can have churches that are just all about encouraging. We just want to support everybody. I don't think it's my place to point out anybody's sin. It's, it's like waving nicely at the person where the bus is barreling down about to hit them. I don't want to hi. Be encouraged, boom, and they're hit by the bus. Look, I, I don't need a back rub if I'm about to be hit by a car, right? I need someone to push me out of the way. And sometimes that push is not going to be comfortable. Let's be a church that's both confronting but also deeply loving where you don't just point out sin. You say, hey, how can I walk this out with you? Because the grace of God has changed me. I wanna walk with you in this. What else does it mean to to live this out? Well, it says that we are to spur one another up to what? To love and good works, verse 24 says. That's the outworking of having this kind of community that's that's gathered together, committed to each other. There's gonna be love and good works. There's gonna be life change that happens. Love and good works. Uh, Again, it's kind of a pairing of a word there. It's it's like a hyphenated word where it's, it's, it's loving deeds. It's compassionate acts. It's the practical stuff that we do because we've gathered together the way we are. It's things like adopt a family that I just talked about this morning something that was started years ago that we said, we want to do something to impact lives in our church. And it's been incredible to see what God's done in that. I mean, your generosity, when we first started, we thought, let's take care of the single family, single parent families in our church. We can do it this way. We launch it out. And you guys were so generous. We're like, man, we've taken care of everybody. We need to spill this out. So we reached out to Christine's place and took care of moms they had that were in need. That's loving deeds. It's, it's things like you bringing food to somebody's house when you know they've been sick or they're in need, they need a break. It's, it's, it's you visiting and calling people who you know have been isolated in this season. It's giving and serving in practical ways. I mean, j- just this week, I had a, 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 a neat opportunity to see this lived out just this week. It's talking to a woman that's in crisis in our church. Um, her husband abandoned the family. And... Uh, and Matt was talking to her, and she, and she had left to go back home. She had left our area, went back down south to be with her family. And, and Matt was talking to her. Pastor Matt was talking on the phone, and she said, "I'm coming back to church." She said, "My family's been great, but she says, she says this. Nothing compares to how the church has loved me through this." She says, "I've never experienced that kind of love and care before." She says, "I'm so glad to be part of this family." That, that's love and good works. And that wasn't just just a couple of pastors trying to walk with somebody in a dire need. It's it's a whole church that was rallying again, rallying around this person. That's love and good works. And I know that testimony does not stop just with her. I was on the phone just this week with another guy who's, who's going through such tough times right now. And he said this, he said, without the church, I would be completely alone and in total despair. He said, but people have gone out of their way to sacrifice their time and their effort to love and care for my needs and my soul. That's love and good deeds. That's a community changed by grace. That's a community that's been changed by Jesus, filled with the Spirit. That's what church looks like. Here's our last point this morning. It's this, real quickly. We're invited by Christ. We're called, we're gathered, we're committed to this, and we're called by Christ. Again, look at verse 19 to 23. I wanna read it one more time. to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I mean, you see the words all through there. You, you see that it says that we can have this without wavering, that we can have this confidence, this full assurance. I, I love that idea of the, that with confidence we enter into this. Confidence. I remember the first time I went to a really nice restaurant. I wasn't dressed properly. I didn't know all the etiquette of what you do at a nice restaurant. I could barely even read the menu when the, when the waiter, you've ever in a nice restaurant where they put the napkin over your lap? And he's like, I'm like, hey, 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 I'm here on a date, bro. Like, I, like back off, right? I didn't know. It was gonna, I did not have confidence in that situation. Or think about when you're talking to somebody in, in a place of authority. If you're pulled over by a policeman, what are you doing? You're thinking about every word you're saying and how you're acting, how you're reacting. Not confident. Now think of the opposite. Think of a little kid who would run up to their parent, just full of confidence. They're not worried about, oh, how will I say this to my mom? How will I act in this moment? No, no. Now, I love it when my kids were really small and it'd be after a service and I'd be, I'd be praying with somebody at the front or talking with somebody and they could be like in deep need. And one of my kids, when they're super little, they'd just run up, dad, and grab my leg, right? Full confidence. Like, yeah, I gotta pray with somebody. Yeah, whatever, you're my dad. That's confidence. The text is saying we have that kind of confidence. If you believe in Christ, if, you, if you're under the blood of Christ, if you recognize that, that through Christ, the Father has accepted you, not because of your good deeds, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ did on the cross for you, you now have present tense, full confidence in his presence. No condemnation, able to draw near, heart changed by Christ. His conscience clean, the curtain between you and God removed I love that. You're now on the inside with God. You get to go past the bouncer, right? You you get to go into the inner circle. You have full access. And to think about how amazing that is. And sometimes I think those raised in the church, we kind of skip past this and forget the unbelievable truth of that, that you get to be in the inner ring, the best inner ring you could ever be in, the inner ring of the Trinity. And you get to be there because of Christ in that space. I mean, forget the cool kids at school. This is the inner ring. Forget the perfect Facebook moms you wish you could hang with. Forget that. Forget the, the dudes at work. Listen, you've been accepted into the inner ring of God. Accepted by the only one who actually counts. And you go in with confidence. No hiding, no faking, no striving, no worrying, no pressure. Listen, if you don't get this, if we don't understand the the truth of this, if we don't get this confidence we have in Christ, if we don't recognize that, that you're saved by grace, if you don't know that God loves you in Christ, then you will desperately be looking for this love everywhere else. You'll look for it in relationships. You'll look for it in identity. You'll look for it in stuff. But when you know this, that Christ has accepted you, do you see how this changes not just your life but how we do church because now you have this confidence of of, I have access to God I have a relationship with him all my other relationships I don't need to use people anymore because I don't actually need to use you anymore because uh, I don't need you to feel good about who I am I feel great about myself because it's not about me at all. It's about Christ. So now you can say, I boast only in the cross. When things are going great, I can say, thank you, Jesus, for your cross. It's made me who I am. When things are going hard and you're caught in sin or shame, you bring that to the cross. Go, Christ, thank you for your death in my place where I can be forgiven of this. I mean, if you're on the outside of church and you're thinking, man, I don't want to jump in because I got so many problems. Yeah, newsflash, we are a busted up, messed up group of dysfunctional people here. Man, I love when people show up in our church and they like, man, I just love how friendly your church is. Man, everyone at your church just loves people so well. And in my mind, I'm thinking, just stick around a bit longer. You guys do love people well, but listen, we're real people. We struggle with sin like anybody else. And, and I've said this before, that, that if you stick around long enough, you're gonna have to see what it is to walk in grace because somebody will hurt you. It's not a place for perfect people to huddle up together. But we want to invite you into this journey as we pursue wholeness in Christ. And that journey is going to be messy at times. And we'll drop the ball with each other. We'll, We'll mess up relationships. We all need grace and forgiveness as we press into the gospel together, seeking to live for Jesus. Because apart from God's love, listen, we're lost. But the good news is God pursues lost people. And love you so much that he sent his son to live a perfect life of obedience, a life that we could never live. And though even, even though, even though Christ was perfect, had never sinned against God, he paid the price for our sin, died on the cross on our behalf, in our place, died for all our imperfections, all our sin, all our rebellion against the holy God. And then he rose from the grave to defeat, to conquer, to have victory over sin and Satan and death. It means this anyone who puts their faith in Christ. As Savior and Lord is forgiven all their sins. Now, access as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters of Christ to come into that relationship. That's what it means to be part of the church. Don't think, hey, what do I have to do to clean up my life in order to be part of a church? It's not based on what you do, it's based on what God in His love through Christ has already done. If you put your faith in Christ, that's what you have. If you haven't, I want to invite you even right now, put your faith in him. And I want to invite you to become a part of that family. I want to invite you to become part of this family. I mean, this is the church community that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. This is how we're drawn together. This is how we give up our rights for each other because we recognize it's only through the cross of Christ that we've been redeemed. I mean, don't you want a community like this? My heart breaks because I think in our church, we have, we have not spent a lot of time talking about what it means to be committed to a local church. I think we've been so focused on mission and so focused on just loving people that we've never made this call of, hey, what does it look like to do this together? To say, I'm committed to this place. What does it look like? I'm a member of this church. I don't just go there. That's my family. That's my people. That's who I do life with. Those are the people who spur me on and encourage me. Those are the people where I see love and good works accomplished. I mean, don't you want a community like that? A community that lives this out. I mean, in the years that I've been pastoring here at our church, I've seen so many examples of this, but I know we have so much more room to grow. So as the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning in worship, I want us to, to draw near. Draw near with this, this full assurance of faith. To understand what does that mean to be drawn near? to be able to come into the inner place, to have that kind of relationship with God and then, then let, that, let that reality change your relationships with other people too. That we would see that the church that Jesus promised for the good of the nations and for his glory, that we can be a part of that together, amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord God, I thank you that, you, that you've purchased us Father, if there's anybody here this morning who's just checking out church, who's just kind of wanting to see what this is all about, God, I pray that this morning would be a morning unlike any other mornings where they say, today, today I wanna follow Christ. Today I wanna lay down my life. Today I wanna repent, turn from doing things my way and put my full hope and trust in Christ alone to have access to God. And in doing so, in doing so, gaining just today, just this morning, gaining brothers and sisters who want to do this life with you. Well, God, I pray that there'd be people like that this morning. God, I pray that as a church, we would allow this time of COVID to help us really evaluate, reevaluate. Well, what is church? What am I really doing? Am I just going to a place? Or am I actually a part of? Have I committed to? And God, that in this season, we would see you do a work like we've never seen before, a unity like we've never had before, a work of love and good works coming out of this place like we've never seen before. God, that we know, Jesus, you promised you would build this church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, not a virus, not persecution, not a government. God, that you would send us out for your glory, that you'd rally us together for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.